welcome to the Canadian Nutrition Society podcast, Nutrition Conversations, a podcast dedicated to exploring the latest research in nutrition and health in Canada. In each episode, we invite expert guests to share their insight and knowledge on a wide range of topics from dietary patterns to sports nutrition, food insecurity, and food sustainability. Whether you're looking to improve your own health and wellness or simply stay up to date on the latest developments in the field of nutrition, we hope you'll join us on this journey to better understand the role food plays in our lives. Please note that the views expressed by speakers in CNS podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily of CNS. Sitting in the host chair in this episode is the Scientific Director of the Canadian Nutrition Society, Dr. Sharon Panahi, who will be talking to Dr. Mochta Kaviani on episode 11 of Nutrition Conversations on the role of dietary and sports supplements and nutritional interventions in enhancing athletic performance and overall health. Hello, Nutrition Conversations listeners. According to recent data, the global sports nutrition market and supplements was valued at about 27 billion US dollars in 2022 and expected to increase in value to over 37 billion US dollars by 2027. Sports supplements such as plant extracts, sports drinks and bars, and protein powders are natural health products that are frequently used by many athletes worldwide to enhance sports performance and recovery. To understand how consumption of these supplements affects athletic abilities, let's dive into the insights of an esteemed expert in the field. Dr. Mochtaba Kaviani is an associate professor in the School of Nutrition and Dietetics at Acadia University and certified exercise physiologist with CSEP, the Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology. He is also the lead of the sports nutrition group, providing nutritional support to all Acadia University varsity teams. His research focuses on the effects of nutrients and food components alone or in combination with physical activity on whole body physiology and health status, as well as sports performance in athletes. Dr. Kaviani also investigates the effects of sport and dietary supplements on health and performance outcomes and has no conflicts of interest to declare. I'm going to spill the beans a little bit and reveal that he was also a varsity freestyle wrestler during his university days. So he brings an element of personal experience to his research and teaching as well. On that note, I welcome you much to episode 11 of Nutrition Conversations. Well, it's great to be here with you and uh, I'm so excited to kind of, uh, you know, talk about sports supplements and my uh, background in uh, wrestling and how I got to this point to kind of uh, help athletes to improve or maximize their sports performance. Well, thank you so much for being part of the conversation. It's really great to, to have you. And so before we get into some of the intricacies of your research, I'd really like to shine a spotlight on the personal journey that laid the foundation for your expertise, and that being your wrestling. So we both know that freestyle wrestling is a common sport in Iran, where you first started the sport, and which is an intriguing, perhaps, starting point for myself and our listeners. So can you maybe share how this personal experience informed your decision to go on and study nutrition and exercise? Um, 
and I guess what I'm asking is, is there really a connection between your personal experience and professional endeavors in the field? Well, that's a, you know, an interesting question. And like, it's going to take me back to so many years ago when I was only 13 and I started like uh, my journey in wrestling. And as you mentioned, wrestling is a like kind of a national sport back home in Iran. So I wanted to become an, uh, kind of a Olympian, go to Olympics and win a gold medal in sport. And the sport I was involved in was wrestling. So, uh, yeah, I, in my rest, uh, wrestling career, I competed in provincial national championships, like securing first place in provincial level and like second place in national levels. Uh, up to the point then I got into the university and from there I continued with my wrestling career, competed as a varsity athlete for another like four or five years. And during my career at uh, university, I had some injuries that kind of stopped me from continuing my dream to become an Olympian. Uh, however, my interest for kind of sports and how to improve and maximize sports like never died. And it got me into a, like a master's degree in exercise physiology and sports nutrition. And then, you know, it got me to here in Canada, like back in 2011 to do my PhD at the University of Saskatchewan. Even though I was retired for like so many years in between my master's and PhD, I decided to go back to wrestling for one more time. Then I retired back in 2014 and 15. So I had another three years of like a varsity experience uh, at U of S. See, you know, I've been an athlete. I've been a coach. I've been a referee. I've been a, like an educator, a teacher when it comes to sports and nutrition and exercise physiology. And when I talk about those like this stuff, like I can always relate. And I think that's what makes me a little bit unique in that regard, because it's like, oh, what happened to me? Why, why, why couldn't I perform well that day in that tournament? So I think uh, that's kind of where my passion is. And uh, I hope I can provide some uh, insight and information for those who are actively competing or involved in any type of physical activity and thinking of whether or not they should take any sports or dietary supplements. Well, I love that you've shared sort of your, your personal story with us and an experience with sports and also uh, um, your experience sort of with, with the dietary aspects uh, in the field and, and sort of maybe getting into some of the, your work. Um, in my background reading on, on this topic, I noticed that your research covers a lot of different dietary components, different populations. And um, I remember earlier when we had a little bit of a chat, we decided to focus on dietary supplements. Um, but before we maybe get into some of the specifics, um, could you perhaps define dietary supplements and also the, the target population when it comes to nutrition and supplements? Yeah, that's a great question. I think like... I teach sports nutrition, right? It's like I talk to my students about like nutritional strategies, whether or not including supplements somewhere in there to help athletes to improve performance. But let's see, let's focus on who we're dealing with, who are the population, like the target population for this matter. 
So if you only go to gym or doing any kind of physical activity or exercise like three times a week and you're not actively competing or, or, or even thinking of like competing in any tournament or any sports and there's no performance uh, like outcome or reasons for you there. So it's not like then your energy requirements or your nutrition requirements going to be different than like, like, you know, normal individuals. But if you're someone like uh, the high performance level, let's say competing at provincial level, national level, international level, and your performance and how you do in your sport is important for you. And you're like, you're out there to perform and win. We're talking about like high performance athletes or elite athletes. So these two are different. I see a lot of like, you know, people out there uh, asking for supplements or how, how they can like improve their kind of, I don't know, performance or how can they like improve their lift, how much they can lift. So I think we need to separate these two. If you're out there to kind of lift weights or run or bike and improve all your time or I don't know how much you can, how much of weight you can lift, that's like more of like a health aspect of it. But if you are involved in sport and you're training more than like five times a week, you have like a scheduled training, you're under coach and like, let's say you're a varsity athlete or you're a, like a provincial athlete or national athlete. So then you are considered like a high performance or an elite athlete. Then we can talk more specifically about diet, nutrition, as well as like sports and dietary supplements. So to kind of add on what I just explained in terms of the difference between like a high, high performance athletes and elite athlete and like the other individuals. So what are sports supplements and dietary supplements? Is there any difference, right? So I think uh, some may get confused there. Dietary supplements have been around for so many years and they're there to kind of complement nutri essential nutrients in your diet that you can get from food. So let's say vitamin D, calcium, or B12. So they are designed and they are made to kind of help you to meet your like kind of requirements for that specific nutrients or nutrients of concern. Whereas sports supplements are made are designed to improve your performance outcomes. Let's say you are like a soccer player, you want to improve your speed, you want to improve your agility when you're playing soccer. So what are the what are the sports supplements available out there that can help you to achieve your goals? So those are kind of the differences I wanted to make sure I can lay it out at the beginning. So then we know who we're talking about and why do we need to kind of include any sports or dietary supplements to help athletes to improve their athletic performance? No, I'm glad you sort of made that distinction um, up front because, I mean, I go to the gym, I exercise every day, I do resistance training and, and cardio, and sometimes I like to convince myself that I'm, I'm an athlete, but I'm, I know I'm sort of nowhere near close, so I'm, I'm glad you... I've clarified the, the needs um, that differ between high-performance athletes and, and those engaging in rec recreational physical activity, uh, such as myself, for example. 
And so you talked about supplements. Um, what are some of the most commonly used supplements among athletes, regardless, maybe regardless of their performance level or, or dietary uh, preferences? And, and are there any trends for supplements that you've observed in recent years? Well, an interesting question again from you. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, you know, I've been working with athletes like for so many years. And I think what I've seen so far, like they always talk about protein. How do I get my protein? So, of course, protein powders or protein supplements like plant-based, like proteins, pea protein, soy protein, or like whey protein, like casein. So those are the ones I have like seen a lot athletes are talking about and they're taking. Uh, I personally do research on creatine and creatine has also become popular supplement amongst athletes and like multivitamins and you uh, to be honest with you what I've seen lately is like these pre-workout supplements containing a uh, high level of like caffeine and like nitrate and beta alanine so those are the ones I can kind of uh, a touch on that I have seen like been uh, commonly used uh, in athletes and uh, you know regardless of their performance even if like they're going to the gym like for like normal individuals like they think of like oh how do I get my protein I don't think I get enough protein what supplements should I take and so that's that's been the trend I have uh, I have observed so far yeah, so I'm glad you sort of discussed some of these uh, these food co- components such such as whey protein, and and maybe we'll we'll come a little bit um, back to that. But I also kind of wanted to switch focus a little bit and and discuss the term uh, food first, uh, which has been widely accepted as the preferred strategy within sport nutrition. Although uh, based on my reading, there seems to be no agreed definition of this and often limited consideration of the implications. So um, it has been proposed that food first, the term food first should mean where practically possible nutrient provision should come from whole foods and drinks rather than from isolated food components or dietary supplements. And uh, this is from a, a paper I read uh, from 2020, a 2022 paper called Food First, but Not Always Food Only, Recommendations for Using Dietary Supplements in Sport by Close It Al in the International Journal of Sport Nutrition and Exercise Metabolism for our readers or listeners rather who are interested. Um, so could you talk a little bit about the term food first and what this means for athletes yeah good question i think we i i don't even know where this uh, came from food first it could be related to the like popularity of like uh, consumption of sports supplements and there has been like maybe too much of focus on supplements lately and it's like well we know the word supplement means not not it doesn't mean replacing diet and foods like supplementing it it's correcting any nutrition nutrient deficiencies that we can't get from our diet right so we go with food first like approach to make sure we don't leave, we don't lose the kind of the meaning meaning of like having a food enjoying the food food should be always the cornerstone of like uh, uh, what we can uh, how we get our nutrients into our bodies so i think this is where it's coming from but what i've seen lately like pressing too much on food first like kind of scaring athletes from taking supplements why 
maybe like I said, it's because it's the consumption rate has gone up, like as you as you mentioned at the beginning, like drastically. It's like I've seen athletes, I've seen like normal individuals wanting to start their activity or exercise. The first thing they think of is like, oh, do I need to get supplement now? I think this is where it's coming from. So not all athletes, as we talked about, or people need to get uh, need to consume supplements. They may they may be able to get their uh, essential uh, nutrients or what their body needs from food. And this is where it's coming from. But as you mentioned, we're practically possible when we're talking about high performance high performance athletes, elite athletes. There are times that that these food first approach may not be possible. You think about like. Uh, athletes who are involved in congested like schedule of training and their energy requirements is going to go much higher and in order to meet all those energy demands they need to be considered need to consuming a lot of food and that may kind of uh, contradict with their training time so how much of carb I should be, I, I need to take to kind of meet my energy demand. So it would be practical to kind of look at different like sources, like supplements that are isolated, like less volume and provide more energy dense, like kind of uh, source for us, right? Uh, and I think and another reason is there are some nutrients are their bioavailability is low. For example, like I have studied creatine, like creatine monohydrate, like it, it can be found in like animal base or meats, like, but if you look at the bioavailability and the absorption rate it's pretty low, how much of meat do we need to consume to get that, that level of like creatine that helps us to improve training capacity, like, I don't know, you, you name it, like anaerobic performance or high intensity interval training performance. So yes, there are there are some nutrients. There are some there are reasons that this food first approach may not be the kind of the only thing that we want to see. So and it should be complemented with like uh, using supplements. And I think from that paper you mentioned, they do talk about like food not food first only. It's like yes, food goes first, but there are there are conditions that we go with supplements to make sure like athletes are getting uh, enough like essential nutrients that can help them to kind of stay healthy and improve their performance. So I think that's uh, those are really important points and um, maybe uh, I mean we talk about this food first uh, approach but Maybe we can also talk a little bit about some of the specific food components. Uh, and you had mentioned whey protein earlier as, as a common supplement. And we see that uh, a lot of, there's a lot of use of that. And so uh, I wonder why is that often a, a go-to supplement, uh, especially because it is a, is a component that we found find in dairy products, for example, even though it's in very uh, minor, smaller amounts rather. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think this is coming from my practical experience. You think about athletes are training, right? And it's been recommended to consume like up to like 30 to 40 grams of protein to help with um, uh, like tissue repair, like those like the small like injuries ha happen like at like musculoskeletal level, as well as like helping with muscle protein synthesize, right? And 
I don't think it would be much practical to have athletes to kind of drink a cup of milk. And how much of uh, like dairy they, do they need to consume to that get amount of like protein? So it's more convenient and more practical. And this is what I've done here at the KDR. Like we've been talking to coaches and asking them to kind of put some money aside so we can like get the supplements and like there's there are times we do the like we we create a smoothie for example so with protein protein powder like whey, whey powder and like add it add a little bit of like carbohydrate a banana and like water and mix it and like give it to them right after the training so this practically speaking then we know for sure they have received the protein they needed and i have been talking to athletes like what if they train late in the evening? When they get home, they may not be even kind of thinking of having food and they, it's better to kind of have the protein or like in the form of supplement right after or within 30 minutes after exercise than like having them to eat or eat nothing like later on. So I think this is why, and like whey protein, it's like contains all the essential amino acids. And that's also another reason. So it's a complete protein and uh, with BCAA included in whey protein. So I think that would be a good reason for athletes to take that. But I want to add something else here. This is to those who are also thinking of taking BCAA, like brand chain amino acid. So if you're already taking whey protein, BCA is already in there. So you, you may not need to like, take additional like BCA supplements. So you can save your money on just whey protein. And and if you look at the like uh, amino acid breakdown in the whey protein you're getting, you will see like leucine, isoleucine, and like valine, those three like uh, three uh, branch chain amino acids. So they are there and the ratio is two, usually it's two, one, one, uh, two for leucine and one for the isoleucine and one uh, for uh, valine. So it's there. My recommendation for you is like if you're taking whey protein, most likely you don't need to kind of take BCA on top of that. Those are those are great points. So so how do we assess who truly needs supplements? And you might have touched on some of this a little bit earlier, but um, what are some of the, the key factors to maybe consider and especially in terms of bioavailability? I think you, you touched on that a little bit earlier. You know, there is a, actually a supplement use like decision matrix. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go uh, like based on that, and that's included in the paper you uh, you you uh, you mentioned earlier. It's like we want to know what nutrients you're looking for that you can get from your food, your diet. So. Is there any kind of uh, deficiency in that nutri- uh, in, in that nutrient, or is there any like food allergies, or is there an, are there any foods that you don't like that contain those nutrients of concern that you're looking to get from like for example supplement sources, and on top of that, there might be some like you know it's like you think about like athletes are involved in like those like a level of training and they may not have kind of, it may not be actually practical to get the nutrients they need only from food. And there are times they may need to kind of supplement it with like 
sports supplements or dietary supplements. I want to uh, mention one example here. So uh, what happens with like elite athletes because of like the level of training, volume of training, intensity of training, their immune system might be kind of suppressed. So and their requirements for some nutrients that can help with like their immune system health might be increased. So you think about like vitamin C, you think about like zinc, you think about like vitamin E or some kind, some other source of uh, like uh, nutrients like uh, protein and carbs, or even like you think about like uh, uh, free fatty fish oils, like omega-3, omega-6, omega-9. So it would be practical to include those supplements to make sure our athletes remain healthy while they are like kind of a training and involved in a congested like schedule of training so i think those are the those are the some of the reasons athletes should be looking into kind of getting some supplements and as i've mentioned before like there are some uh, nutrients with low bioavailability one is creatine and if you look at even like uh, like let's say like vitamin d so it's winter time right now, right? Sun exposure is limited. And how much of like uh, foods uh, containing uh, vitamin D can we consume to meet our like kind of uh, requirements? So it would be kind of uh, kind of practical to, you know, supplement with those with low bioavailability. Right. And, and it's interesting. We've talked a lot about, you know, these common supplements and, and sort of their, their role, but um, maybe shifting gears a little bit, you've been involved in some very interesting research on other dietary components, which we may not have thought to be so, so commonly used as, as supplements. And these include the impact of green matcha tea and New Zealand black currant extract on health and sports performance. So moving a little bit away from those common supplements that we've been discussing, can you talk a little bit about that work? Uh, some of your findings, maybe, um, if you have any papers that you could recommend to our listeners, uh, that would be, be great as well. And, and maybe some of the properties of these, um, these supplements and what they sort of have to offer. Yeah, um, I think my story with the New Zealand black Current and green matcha tea goes back to a few years ago when uh, I came across few papers from Professor Mark Williams from uh, Chichester University in the UK and this is also this can be also personal because for so many years I have been thinking of like antioxidants and how they impact like sports performance and there has been recent debate whether or not like antioxidant antioxidants should be supplemented because there's some uh, evidence or showing they may disrupt training induced adaptations uh well that's still ongoing that debate like how much is too much when it comes for example to antioxidants so yeah i talked to uh, uh mark and it's like you know i'm interested in like building up on the studies you have done and then this collaboration started like a few years ago and the first one I did was like looking at like matcha green tea and it contains a, one of the highest concentration of polyphenols, an antioxidant called catechins. So there is, there's been studies showing this component can help 
with like increasing substrate oxidation, specifically fat, when it's combined with exercise. So we did the first kind of, uh, there has been some acute studies, but our study was the first one looking at a chronic intake, like three weeks intake of like omega-3 on substrate oxidation during moderate exercise, like moderate uh, intensity walking in females. So yeah, we, our study was the first one looking at like chronic intake of uh, matcha uh, green tea on substrate oxidation during moderate intensity, like walking in females where participants consume three grams of uh, uh, green tea, during match tea per day for three weeks. And, uh, you know, we saw a significant increase in fat oxidation in, in our participants. And that was kind of, uh, that was kind of prompted us to do another study looking at like how combination of exercise, specifically like moderate intensity walking with green tea like green matcha tea could impact like blood glucose regulation that's that study is still in progress but it was promising to see uh including a supplement like uh, matcha tea can have some impact on like the substrate oxidation because this is the ultimate goal for like individuals involved in exercise when it comes to like kind of a fat loss to uh kind of maximize or enhance the fat oxidation, which we saw by kind of including um, uh, green tea in their diets for three weeks. Uh, moving on to like New Zealand black currant, that one is more, that, that study is a bit different than the one we did with green tea because we were targeting uh, athletes. In the, in the green tea study, matcha study, we were targeting like just, you know, healthy individuals with limited, like, level of training. So the nutrient of concern in New Zealand black currant is anthocyanins, and it's a type of polyphenol with antioxidative uh, and anti-inflammatory and vasodilatory effects. So if you put all those three together, it's like, looks promising. So, and what we're looking in, like, to is finding a nutrient that can that kind of offer some antioxidant property to help with scavenging free radicals, specifically after like intense trainings, as well as some with like anti-inflammatory kind of properties to lower the inflammation. And with vasodilatory effects, kind of uh, causing vasodilation to provide probably more nutrients to help kind of improving the uh, performance of like contracting muscles so we what we did with that study was to kind of uh, supplement for seven days two capsules a day and that the like in total 200 milligrams so i want to pause here and actually talk about like the bioavailability of uh, anthocyanin in like let's say if we're looking at like new zealand black currant itself because we use the new zealand black currant extract right and it's like because of low bioavailability in new zealand black currant so it was like we were getting almost double amount of like uh, anthocyanin in two capsules a day so that was more practical to get athletes to sort of consume or take the capsule uh, we look at the like high intensity like interval training 
performance and there we saw a 30% increase in number of sprints that the athletes could do while they were on uh, New Zealand Blend Quarantine uh, supplement uh, in, compar in uh, comparison to their placebo condition. So those are the stories behind the two studies I have done with uh, Green Maturity and New Zealand Blend Quarantine. And are these published uh, just for our listeners? The, the Matsuti is uh, published in the Journal of Dietary uh, Supplements, but I'm still working on the uh, kind of uh, the New Zealand background one. So it should, be, it should be done fairly quickly. Perfect. I definitely look forward to seeing those results. Um, and so I guess looking at all of these different supplements as a whole, um, are there any negative or adverse effects to using some of these supplements, either on health or performance? Okay, so I think uh, going back to the pros and cons of like using supplements uh, with, with some kind of uh, side effects, as I've mentioned, like with creatine, for example, it could, it could cause some uh, like a gastrointestinal like issues in some people. Or like caffeine, one of the most popular supplements that can increase like heart rate drastically in some people. So there are side effects associated with supplements and also the expense is one. And like I, like I said, the contamination aspect of supplements. So those are the things you need to consider before like, uh, like stepping outside, be on your way to a supplement store. Um, yeah, I think that's that's about it. But uh, is it safe? Is it legal? Or is it effective? Those are the three questions you're asking yourself before you make any kind of uh, decisions whether or not you want to take that supplement. No, I think those are definitely some, some important points. Um, and looking sort of at the other aspect, are there perhaps some additive or synergistic effects of combining certain supplements? Um, I know there's, a, you know, some supplements that may be maybe consumed together or I don't know if uh, I'm not sort of in this area but maybe you can you can enlighten us uh, enlighten us there so going back like with athletes like elite athletes uh, involved in like a heavy schedule of training and helping their immune system health like uh, vitamin C uh, iron or some sort of like antioxidants like uh, uh, like vitamin E can be kind of uh, combined to help with like uh, improving their antioxidants kind of uh, capacity, total antioxidant capacity. I mean, there, there are some examples out there, like if you're looking at like improving anaerobic performance, you can combine like, for example, creatine and caffeine or you can consume them like individually, but uh, there are some uh, synergistic effects of uh, supplements out there, but it should be kind of, each athlete should be kind of tested them and to see whether or not it's working. And I think this, this is leading me to kind of say this, one size doesn't fit all. If like, for example, one supplement work, works for me, it doesn't necessarily mean it works for everybody else or when combining them. So you gotta be careful to kind of Test them out during your training, specifically in your, if you're competing and you're a high-performance athlete and never tries anything new, like 
near to any competitions you're involved in. Yeah, no, I think those are important points. And, and I think uh, when in doubt, uh, you did mention some, some points to consider for individuals interested in taking supplements, but perhaps to consult a, a sports dietitian who may be able to provide some, some better advice and, and guidance uh, regarding these. Um, so I feel like we could talk forever about this topic. There's so many different points. Um, we could even talk about timing of consumption before, after exercise. Um, you know, there, there's so many uh, factors to consider. But maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll end with one final question for you, uh, sort of in the interest of time. How do we put all of this knowledge into practice? And perhaps what are some of the, the practical applications for, for athletes? I think that's a million dollar question because like in theory, everything is easy. We read the content and when it comes to practice, when I send my students to work with teams and with athletes and the stuff we are facing with is like, like cannot be found in any textbooks because they're all different. They are different individuals. So how do we put all this into practice? I think there, there are some, we need to increase their knowledge. I have been doing some kind of, uh, not like a formal research, but looking at how much they know and who they go to, to get all this information. I think it would be good to like, for what I've done here at the KDO, I have like uh, developed a suite course of sports nutrition, right? So from introduction to sports nutrition to advance and applied sports nutrition. So then athletes have people like close to them that they can like, like talk to easily and ask any questions they have in respect to nutrition, diet, and supplements. And, you know, I think when it comes to sports supplements, they're going to take it anyways. Why not, like, providing them with the uh, kind of most informative, like, kind of knowledge to help? Some uh, practical strategies is like, I think to me is like improving their knowledge, uh, like do a needs assessment as to whether they need to take supplements, uh, looking at their dietary intake, looking at their training schedule, training, volume of training and find finding out like uh, what nutrients they're lacking or if it's if it's required like send them to kind of get a blood test done and find out if there's any nutrient deficiency and i think any kind of recommendation should be coming from some sort of knowledge not just based on like okay so uh, i'm involved in like three times of training five times of training i should take my protein no i shouldn't be like that to get the most benefits of like using supplements, we need to know, we need to understand the sports needs, the energy systems, like uh, the volume of training and all components of like training and their, their purpose of training, let's say they're off season, they're in season. And once we know that we can kind of take a look at their dietary intake, see what's lacking, see how we can kind of provide some uh, kind of uh, nutritional recommendation, uh, whether it's like uh, changing in their dietary intake or like uh, having them to kind of start consuming supplement to help them to improve their performance. Uh, it's not an easy kind of a question to answer because you need to consider a lot of factors in here. 
before you provide any kind of recommendations to athletes to kind of um, when it comes to supplements but uh, my final point maybe not my final point but one of the points i'm making here is uh, the more we know about their diet their training their performance goals their health goals the better we can help athletes or individuals involved in like uh, regular training programs uh, when it comes to sports supplements or dietary supplements. I think uh, th that's definitely a really important message. Uh, are, are there resources uh, that we can maybe access or, or uh, sort of a go-to place for, for athletes and uh, even for someone who's just interested in knowing a little bit more? Because you, you do talk a lot about you know, improving our knowledge before sort of deciding to take a supplement. Is there anything you recommend in that, uh, in that sense? I think there are, uh, that's, that's a good question. I think there are some, like, let's say, uh, I know, for example, like a Canadian Society of Exercise Physiology, they have recently launched like a kind of sports supplements or nutrition course, or even some universities, uh, they have started to kind of their sports nutrition, like, program where when when students in kinesiology or nutrition are kind of providing uh, athletes with kind of a, a, a reliable content i know for example ubc does have a like a website like specific, uh, specified to kind of varsity athletes if they need information uh, in terms of like sports supplements or diets they can go get but uh, i'm not sure and also textbooks and there's some kind of position statement papers. So those are the kind of the kind of the resources I'm usually referring athletes. But I think one other point I want to make here it's like the knowledge translation. What's been missing is that knowledge translation. So we need to kind of bridge the gap. It's like the paper has been published, but how many of athletes or how many are going to have access or have uh, have time to read that? So I think there should be some sort of like a knowledge translation strategy to use those reliable sources and provide the uh, provide the useful info to athletes. So if they're asking me, for example, should I take caffeine before exercise? How much should I how much should I take? Then I can kind of provide them with this is the information you need to know before you're making any decision. Well, thank you for that. Those are some some great resources that perhaps some of our listeners can refer to and also a great way to wrap up this conversation. So I thank you so much, Mashtaba, for taking us on this journey to better understand the role of dietary and sports supplements on athletic performance. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was, uh, it was fun to speak about um, sports and dietary supplements and i know for sure there are more and more questions on those and uh, uh, hopefully our listeners can kind of explore uh, this area more and more and more to find out like what works the best for them great well thank you so much again and stay active everyone Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Nutrition Conversations. We hope that you found today's discussion informative and inspiring. If you're interested in hearing more about the latest research in nutrition and health, 
be sure to check out our website at cns-scn.ca-podcast for upcoming episodes. You can find us on various platforms including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Simply search for the Nutrition Conversations podcast on your favorite app and you'll have access to all our episodes in one place. We release new episodes at the end of each month, so mark your calendars and stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode.